And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 90 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, August 3rd, 2015. Well, folks, I think it's safe to say that we all want to be Ronda Rousey. If you don't know who I'm talking about, she's simply the baddest, assest MMA fighter, maybe the best professional fighter to come along, maybe ever. In fact, my goal is to finish the introduction to this show in the average time that she takes to finish fights and knock people out, about 25 seconds. On Saturday night, Rousey beat Brazilian Bethe Coriolia in just 34 seconds for the Ultimate Fighting Championship's Women Bantamweight title fight. Coria just trash-talked her in the way in and told Rousey to not cry when she beat her. It was poetic, karma-inducing justice when Rousey pulled out her mouth guard after knocking Coria out in 34 seconds and said, Don't cry. So don't you cry, because PNR is your corner man. We're here for another episode. We bring you the anaconda choke of content marketing news and cauliflower ear of native advertising. We'll be throwing a right hook of this old marketing. We'll bring you the ground and pound of rants and the Peruvian necktie of raves. Working toward that TKO of epic content marketing experiences, content ink, and intelligently ducking and weaving content magic. So let's ding, ding, ding the bell, and let's get this bout started. And of course, to help me do that is my friend, my colleague, my good, good friend, the undisputed heavyweight champion of mixed martial marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I am. I'm doing well. I'm doing fantastic. And you're back home, I take it? I am. I'm back home from the whirlwind trip down under to Oz and had a wonderful time with the Adobe folks there um, speaking at both of their symposia. Uh, in Sydney and Singapore and visiting with our great, great friends at King Content and doing a little master class down there. And it was uh, an enjoyable time, albeit very, very short. And my body clock is still saying, what the hell time is it? Oh, yeah, that w- that's a that's way too quick of a trip. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough to do it. I, You know, you spend, it's, it's interesting, if you're there for a week and you do that kind of trip, you spend, you know, 80% of it on an airplane or in an airport, and the rest of it is sleeping. And so it was not not a lot of waking time, uh, prod, product productive time, but nonetheless a good trip. So did you, you were you one of the ones that paid $60 for watching the Rousey 34-second fight? I was or? not. No, I, I managed. I, I had a really... Really, and I should state up front: I am not a huge MMA fan, but I'm a very small MMA fan. And and, and uh, I had a feeling, given her, given the odds, and how heavily she was favored, that she, it was going to be exactly that. And it, it turned out to be exactly that. And so, I mean, quite literally, I watched an animated GIF of the entire fight because it was that quick. It's literally eight seconds. I mean, she's just yeah. It's thirty-four seconds. The entire from the, the ding of the bell seconds. was thirty-four seconds before she was down and out. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's fast. I mean, she's just brutal. She's just she's very 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 skilled. Don't mess with her. Yeah, she's got a set of particular skills. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Hey, I have a feeling that the news this week was a lot more plentiful. It's there was a the lot of news week. and a lot of it weird and this is going to be an odd show. Just weird. set that set that up front. Yeah, disclaimer. Folks. Yeah, disclaimer. This is going to be an to start odd, out yeah. with cuz this it's, is going to get this, this is going to get crazy. It's going to get kooky up in here. Um, but first, before we jump into the top story, uh, we have a wonderful thing to talk about a new study that came out. Um, 
on our own site, contentmarketinginstitute.com. The link, of course, we will put in the show notes. And it's this new study on financial services uh, content marketing. Um, and uh, just some really interesting trends here pulled out about the very, very specific vertical of financial services. You know, just a real quick because I, I just thought this was super interesting. Uh, had you know, special hat tip here to the folks at Imagination for helping us put this one on. Some of the and you work with a lot of financial firms, so I'd love I to do. get your take on some of these stats that we put together. So we just looked at financial services banks and looked at what were they doing from a content marketing benchmark standpoint. Twenty five percent say that they're effective at content marketing, which is much lower than average. Thirty seven percent of total companies have some kind of a documented content marketing strategy. Woefully low, yeah. obviously. Yeah. That's just hard to believe, too, by the way. Um, 29% focus on subscriber growth, which I want to talk about in a second. And here's the thing. How effective are you at ROI for your content marketing? You know how many people said that they were very effective? No. 2%. Uh, yeah, exactly. Two, that does not two. surprise me. 2%. Yeah, that does not surprise two, me that's like That's like... A little better than one and not as, not as good as three. It's like, it's, it's, like it's, it, it's, in fact, you might say it's between one and three. <laughs> to be yeah. precise, yes. as we always are in our research. Exactly. So, no, it's fantastic. Ann Ginn wrote the, the article here and put together the package along with our research team. Um, there's some really good case studies in it that talk about how you know banks and financial services companies are trying to overcome some of these deficiencies i think you and i see it most where if we're looking at it, the manufacturing industry or the financial services industry then somewhat maybe a little bit on the healthcare as well a little bit behind when it comes to uh, some of the the research statistics here so just hats off to that we'll put yeah. it in the show notes but worth checking out it's a 27 page document if you're in financial services at all or you're in any regulated industry check it out You'll uh, you'll dig it, yeah. but I, it's the subscriber thing that always kills me. And this is low across the board. Ever nobody's focused on building an audience. I, well, I know, and it's, it's frustrating. And it's, yeah, no, it's my new it's my new soapbox that I climb up on, and you know, and I've talked about this and. In other areas where I talk about, you know, the technology's not there yet, the processes aren't there yet, the focus as a marketing function isn't there yet, and and it is the way that we can start to think about how we build value for you know for the business using content marketing, and it's and it's not it's the the process of audience building just isn't there yet, and so it's it's something I'm hot on for sure. Well, that's why I had you lead our track at Content Marketing World on measurement. Well, that's just a fine point, Mr. Polizzi. Isn't it's that something? Oh, by the way, well, you're doing that. Yeah. Well, you're doing that at Content Marketing World. So we've got amazing measurement track. But then also we're, you're running uh, Content Marketing Show, which is all about measurement. That's right. And that's a virtual event That'll in, be after, October, yeah, in October that anyone yeah. can sign up for. So if you can't make it to Cleveland September 8th or 11th, you can absolutely sign up for Content Marketing Show. Yeah. And now, now let's the, get to now some let's new, get Do to we have news. anything going on yeah. of interest? <laughs> well, our this top week. story, um, if you can call it that, um, is comes from there's I mean innumerable links out there, most of them having the word Boston in them somewhere. Um, this the link we'll put in the show notes are two. One is the venturebeat.com article. Um, and then the second is actually uh, the PR Newswire release um, that talks about this. HubSpot this week fired their CMO, uh, Mike Volpe, um, 
Joe Chernoff, the head of content there, resigned uh, just prior to being fired. Um, and they have named a new CMO, Kip Bodnar, um, and almost fired their CEO, although he just got a tongue lashing and maybe a pay reduction. And then – so these are the headlines that are coming out of the industry press um, – I would say my headline would be HubSpot issues ridiculous and classless press release, but that's just my headline. But basically, two top executives are gone from HubSpot after several of the company's top executives became embroiled in a book scandal. So HubSpot has fired Mike Volpe, as I mentioned, and he was let go in, quote, connection with attempts to procure a draft manuscript of a book involving the company, um, said the statement. And basically, everybody is now speculating that this has everything to do with Dan Lyon's new book, uh, upcoming book, which basically documents his time at HubSpot, where he claims that it's a little bit like the show Silicon Valley and ridiculous and all of that. So what do you say, Joe? I mean, what before I go off on too much of a rant here, what, what do you have to say about this? Well, I definitely want to get your take on the press release, because I think that everyone listening to this can learn from that aspect of it. But first of all, I mean, you and I, we both know, I've known Mike Volpe since 07, 08. Yep. Uh, we presented together at OpenView Venture Partners in 08 together. He's always been a good guy, somebody I could call up if I needed to talk to. And even though, as many p- listeners know, you know, the whole content marketing versus inbound marketing thing, you know, Mike's always been a cool guy. So he got let go or got fired. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, then they put in the press release that our good friend Joe Chernoff, which both of us love, I've always loved, loved Joe, Joe's content marketer of the year, I think yep. in 2012. Yep. Uh, so, you know, one of the, the leading foremost experts in content, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, content marketing, he gets, he resigns, but the way they, this is what I don't understand. And there's just so many more questions to this than answers. So, okay. Yeah. Book scandal. I, here's what I don't get. HubSpot has always claimed to be one of the most authentic companies on the planet. And, you know, this, you know, new, inbound content marketing mentality authenticity you know we'll, we'll put it out there first uh, you know we we know how to uh take advantage of real-time marketing all that type of stuff right. have, have basically gone very traditional they put out a news press release that i don't understand they put way too much detail like you didn't have to put uh the, you could have just said that joe left for personal reasons right like why i'm trying to figure out the legal standpoint behind why they had to do the press release this way. Why do you have to take uh, two very good human beings and just throw them under the bus? Right. And that's my like thing. Yeah. I don't understand. Well, that. that's my problem with it is that, you know, even if they had said, you know, so look, even the, 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 the short answer is they didn't. They didn't have to put nearly the amount of detail that they went out of their way to over explain. Um, the reasons why and actually the personal feelings, you know, using language like, you know, we're disappointed and all of that. And we've turned it over to the police and, you know, and all of this sort of stuff that's in the. They went out of their way to say that. And here's the thing with 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 Mike. I almost get it. I almost understand it. He's a company officer. He's got the C in his title. I understand it. I, I, I don't really understand, but I could have understood it with Joe. It is unexcusable. It, it, it is – he's not an officer of the company. There was no reason to bring him into that discussion of the press release. They could have simply said Joe Chernoff, head of content, has also resigned. End of story. And But they didn't. They felt the need to explain. It's just – it was just really, really 
not um, not an, and this will feed into my rant later in the in the show. But it's just it, to me was the worst way to communicate, you know, an issue, which is obviously an issue. And I don't know what they did. I don't have any more information than anybody else. Maybe they did something bad. Maybe they did something illegal. I don't know. I don't care, ultimately, because as a communicator, when you're communicating that kind of news out, this is the way, this is an epic fail in my in my view in terms of in terms of how to handle it, you know. And regardless of that, Joe is, yes, Joe is definitely a friend of mine. I know Mike a little bit. I don't know him as well as you do, but um, in that case, it's just to me just a, an epic fail of corporate communications. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, this was run by by the legal and oh, sure, uh, it's yeah, all legal. Affairs. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's yeah. all legal because it's it's probably all true. I mean, there's no you know there's no there's no fabrication there. And, you know, they probably really are disappointed, and they probably are all of the things that they said in all of the quotes that they had in the release. And by the way, what a horrible way to announce your new CE, CMO. Oh, I mean, I the headline so of the Kip. press release is Kip Bodnar is named CMO of HubSpot. And then the entirety of the release, there's that word, the entirety of the release <laughs> is actually how much did they're disappointed. It's like, if I'm Kip, I'm feeling like, yeah, thanks for nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just a, just not the way to do it. But it's just interesting. I mean, Unfortunately, I've been involved in some legal issues over my years, and what you, what they always tell you, especially when you're getting cross-examined about something, is just answer the question and no more. Exactly. Yes or no. Exactly. They they went. They did the opposite of what good coaching would tell you to do. That's right. It's just to go into areas that made no sense at all. So I, I just the whole thing makes me feel bad. And yeah, the thing, it's bad. The last it's been, thing it's I'll, right. Yeah, I'm not angry. I'm just I just no. Feel disappointed I, I just feel bad. And, I feel bad for yeah. human beings that they exactly. got dragged through this. It's unfortunate. Um, and, and then the only thing that I thought of when I first saw it, and it actually for the first two hours, I thought that this was a promotional stunt from Dan Lyons. I said this is the greatest thing that Dan. There's going to be a lineup of people for this book. Oh, because of this press release yeah. that came out. I mean, I mean yeah, why, they did nothing did other than – they, I mean, you talk about content marketing for a book that they don't want to do any content marketing for. They've just – they've just they might as well have sealed it as a number one release. The pub, no, I, I would imagine the publisher publisher was going to probably print 20,000, 25,000 copies. They just said, you know what? Load her up. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, we, we need six digits on this one because this is going to be a bestseller. Exactly. And it's because of this, which – totally defeats the purpose of everything they were trying to do i think but we don't know we don't know and i guess the whole so what's the 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 thing to take from this is when you have to well i mean you know as as i have been trained when i was trained as a cmo on by my great pr agency um and i had a couple of them during my tenure it was basically exactly what you just said which is if you know if you have to communicate bad news communicate the bad news in a transparent and honest way but do so only answering the questions you need to answer you don't have to go into detail and you certainly don't have to throw people under the bus it would have just here are the facts dun to dun to dun to dun here's the way it's going to play out and we'll take you know let it let it play out as it's going to play because all they did to your very early on point is they opened up more questions questions than they needed to even begin to open up because the flurry of articles that have appeared since then have all been about what's going on at HubSpot, what's happening, what's going on. You know, they basically just, instead of saying this thing happened, we're working on it. They said this thing happened and here's why we're so upset about it. And 
I don't know. I, I get off on a rant. It's just, it's, it, it's, it, we were talking before because you and I are both football fans. It's the same thing with Tom Brady. That thing could have been handled right, right at the start. <laughs> Hey, I you know I like to deflate the balls a little bit. Uh, I want to go to the lowest possible level. I feel it's good. I didn't know I cro- we crossed the line. Sorry about that. Right. He'd have got a slap on the wrist and done. Exactly. Now we've got all sorts of havoc going exactly. on. What's with Boston? Yeah. I love Boston. What's going on, Boston? What's going on, Boston? Let's get it. Get your stuff together. Come on, people. All right. Let's move. Let's okay. move this story <laughs> show on here. Yes. Before we before we get in trouble exactly. with ourselves. Oh, we're probably already. Yeah, I know. We're yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this when this comes out. All right. So our next story comes to us from a couple of. We're pairing a couple of different stories here together, but primarily focusing on one from the all.com, the awl.com. Um, big hat tat. Uh, to Todd Wheatland over at King Content for uh, sending this story. Um, a few folks actually had sent over this story, Todd being one of them. And the headline is Mutually Assured Content. Um, and this is basically a response post on the all to an Ezra Klein article over on Vox.com uh, asking the question, is the media becoming a wire service? And this is a long article. Um, and it really talks about the idea as as the media gets ready to really face disruption in all of these platforms like Facebook and Apple News and Snapchat and RSS and Facebook Video and Twitter Video and YouTube and Flipboard and all these platforms of content, how content is itself becoming a big challenge for publishers to pull in audiences because they're having to publish to so many disparate channels to find the eyeballs for those audiences. And so the article goes through this in terms of how the complications therein and it, and how difficult this can be and how where there's controversial content, you know, like nudity and those sorts of things and, and semi-nudity and how the different platforms have different grading systems for those kinds of things. Um, well, I, before I give you my take on this, because I definitely have a take on, on the article here, what, what did you think about this, Joe? I think that no one knows really what's going <laughs> to happen. We talked about it before. Right. I think it's going to be chaos, yeah. uh, especially for media companies. A couple <clears> things <throat> come to mind. First of all, and we've talked about this at nauseum on this show, that the platforms, the social platforms like your Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, they – if anybody owns the audience, they do. Nobody technically owns the audience, right. but they have the most control over the audience, and that's a that's a tough thing for media companies sure. who have traditionally he owned who has that the data direct, owns the audience, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. And they do, of course, have the data. Right. Um, the the article goes on to talk about how it's so difficult today for publishers because you have to sculpt the content. Every story has to be. Uh, a little bit different right. on depending on which platform. And to that, I said, duh. Right. Yes, it's called a channel strategy. <laughs> and that's why you choose the channels that make the most sense because you have to put resources to those channels. It almost like I thought about, you know, the days of Ping FM, right? Remember when we thought we hit a jackpot? It's like, oh my God, Ping FM, and we can blast out and spam out the same message to 95 different platforms. Well, we realized that that wasn't going to work and people would ignore us. So we actually had to figure out what our channel strategy was. Yep. So my, my take is, yes, can you, should you play with these platforms? So this is media companies, news media companies, I think have a much more difficult time than brands will because a brand is focusing on a very particular audience. And I think you can choose the ones that you feel that you can get the most out of because ultimately 
we're trying to build a platform too. Yeah. They have a platform. We're trying to build our own platform. We want to leverage the platform. We wake up today. We have access to that platform. We're going to use it for how we can, and we're going to try to get people back to our platform and actually have them as an opt-in subscriber to our audience because tomorrow it may not exist right. that we can use that platform. Yeah. Because as we saw later, you know, it's not even a news story because it's a non-news story, but that did we talk about? I don't know, maybe we talked about last week that Google Plus is finally, finally, finally dead. Yeah. Maybe that was. Yeah. Last well, there's. We I mean, there's all that. sorts of articles this week, sort of <laughs> saying that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I, so yeah, you I, you just spend all that money and all that time on Google Plus. Well, we we did that, and now for, it's pretty <clears> much done, and now you move on to another platform, and they're going to come and go. Uh, and when you've got the big ones like your your Facebook, your YouTube, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, uh, Snapchat, uh, and you know those types of things, but so that, that I mean that, that's the thing that it's still if you come to if you look at a company look at a company like BuzzFeed, and I just did a bunch of research for for Content Inc. the book on this, and I looked at BuzzFeed, and if you look at where their calls to action go, they they're probably better than most than almost everyone at leveraging Facebook, let's say to get people to engage in that content. And they're leveraging, they're experimenting on all the different platforms. They've got their own partnerships going on. But if you get them back, if you get them back to the BuzzFeed site, their calls to action are all around email right. subscription. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And people forget that. So that's my take. Well, you know, here's the, here's this, this article really interesting. Well, first of all, <laughs> What's up with those creepy animated gifs in this article? Oh my I, gosh! I'm so, like looking at one right now, picking up the cars, so, and then the next one juggles the cars. It. I don't understand. Anyway, that's a whole other side note. But this is mesmerizing, though. I can't. I, I can't, can't stop looking at it. it. Right? It's like I'm just it's just like this creepy <laughs> robot picking up cars. It's just odd. Anyway, I was really intrigued with this because the and here's why I was really intrigued with this is because. To me, ironically, this is something that marketers and brand marketers and content marketers have really figured out their quest to become better at content, right? That we need to get content out to as many channels as possible. This channel strategy, as you said. And then our idea here with content marketing is to pull audiences into our owned media properties. Now, for most, as we sort of lamented in the very beginning of the show, that many of these are still called leads or opportunities or visitors rather than a subscriber. But this is the real opportunity now and how brands are truly starting to compete with publishers for the attention of an audit. This, to me, was a really sort of shot across the bow of media companies saying, guess what? Content marketing and brands are going to start to compete with you because these platforms are not only available to you to syndicate content out to, they're available for brands as well. And basically, may the best man win. And so – to the idea of this audience ownership thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about that. I don't think anybody really has the notion that we own an audience these days. Yeah. I mean, media companies have certainly, you know, recognized that, you know, they have to, you know, it's why Viacom owns Nickelodeon, MTV, VH1, Showtime, CBS, because they were trying to have the life cycle of a subscriber in them. But even those companies, media companies, understand that, <clears throat> you know, when you're facing some huge event like the Super Bowl or the Oscars or the finale of some huge show, well, they're not going to compete with that. And that's where you get this idea of alternative programming and counter-programming, right? Counter-programming where you're trying to steal audience like what some of the networks do during the Super Bowl and have the 
girls running around in lingerie, you know, playing football and all of that. Or, but then the or reverse is also yeah, exactly. Shark Week last week, they were everyone was doing some shark, kind of shark special. Yeah, exactly. Right, and so the, but the reverse is also true as well. When you get the big finales of something going on, you get media companies who say, you know what, we're going to just acquiesce the night and we're going to put on a rerun and we're not even going to try and fight for it because we know everybody's going to be watching that show. So. <clears throat> I'd agree that this is chaos for the media industry, but you know, maybe not doom. It just means that just like we often preach to brands and marketers, those that can adapt and merge into these new channels and will do so effectively. Um, and you know, it's just what I find is so interesting that for marketers, this is truly our canary in the coal mine to saying we're now competing with the same media companies that used to we used to rent audiences from, and the level the the level the playing field has been leveled substantially. It's a fast, well, intriguing I, it, article. It, it's super interesting. It's worth the read, obviously. But if you think about where media companies are, and if you know how many of executives do you run into from a media company that say, "Hey, I'm competing with the brands now, and how much content should I do for them? I'm teaching them how to do stories." I think the same thing is going to it's going to go the other way as well. Where where brands really need to watch out because media companies in this type of model, in this wire service model that they talk about in this article, cannot survive on advertising. That's right. So they're going to have to start launching products and services around that. And I think you're going to get into competitive issues where – and maybe opportunities as well where media companies are going to start buying the brands. We already talked about yeah. the fact that brands are already buying the media companies. It's just going to get if, messy if, if, and super fun if only there was the some, same time. Yeah, if only there was some guy who had been talking about media companies launching like products and, and services. If there was only somebody who had been talking about that who, for like the last two years, you know, so – I don't know whoever it was is crazy yeah. idiot. Dopey. Was doing it, but dopey. Yeah. He probably can't find his shoes <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I can't find my moving. He de- can't find my shoes or my glasses. Getting <laughs> about it. I'm sorry. You set me. Up I know. I have to set you up for that. Right. I had to yeah. do that. We have to have a have one of those per show. Moving on to our next story right. here. This one is a fascinating one. Speaking of advertising and the and the and the interesting evolution of a business model here, podcasting advertising on a slippery slope. A uh, big hat tip here to Candace Edelin, who uh, at Candace Edelin is her Twitter hashtag there. Um, and so uh, this comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, um, where the article starts out by telling a story. And it was telling the story about um, – it's an op-ed piece um, that talks about um, this wonderful podcast called Startup, which we've talked about on this show before and many yep. people know because it's a really wonderful, wonderful podcast telling the stories of companies that are just starting out, hence the name of Startup. And basically he tells the story of how he was listening to this and really, really enjoying this podcast and then all of a sudden – he heard the host of the show uh, turn into an advertisement by basically uh, talking about Ford. And at the end of the sort of talking about Ford, he intones this tagline, which is making pickup trucks under a living roof, which is kind of a funny way of, you know, spoofing the ad, but, you know, making it cute and in context with the rest of the tone of the show. And then he says his first reaction was of amusement and admiration. The ads were clever. But then all of a sudden his... He turned to horror. He was horrified. Um, the ads reminded me of the CBS journalist Mike Wallace using, you know, what he used to do while he was smoking cigarettes and talking about the health of cigarettes in the 1950s during a 60-minute segment and all of this. And he was horrified that this was now the way that 
this podcast, we're going to start promoting shows and ruin journalism, blah, 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 blah. There's, you can kind of figure out where I feel on this. But I mean, what did you think, Joe? I mean, is this, is this horrifying the way that podcasts are now using in-context advertising much the way we do? Um, is this going to ruin journalism? I just I don't understand this. Maybe you can explain it to me because listen to radio, <laughs> watch a TV this, show, watch a TV show. This happens all the time. Not to the extent where uh, you know you get to the point where Mike Wallace is smoking cigarettes and talking about how wonderful they are, but to the point where I mean I was listening to the radio today as I was driving from meeting to meeting, and they're talking about some. Uh, Nissan dealership or something and how all oh, the people are great over there and I was just over there we had a good time we talked about it they're the nicest people I mean going on and on about this right. dealership and you know you know it's an ad you absolutely know it's an ad but they're they're doing it in a way that um, is friendly and the, the article talks about the fact that could you then as a journalist or a content creator go against that if there was negative news uh, you know I, that I don't know the question of I just know that is this is this a new issue that we have to deal with all over again because they're calling it quote unquote podcasts? Right. Well, we've yeah. because well, what I'm seeing and what you and I both covered this. There was another one we're not talking about on the show, but our podcast director Pamela Muldoon sent me a thing about a, a radio station buying a portion of a podcast network that happened earlier in the week. <clears throat> radio pod, it's all audio, right? And the 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 sponsorship and the advertising associated with radio and podcasting is pretty darn similar. I don't think this is different. No. Do you? Well, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't think this... I mean, you know, look, the Mike Wallace example is very convenient for him to use because it's cigarettes and everybody's like, oh, it's cigarettes. That's horrible. How would you... How dare you? You know, and I mean... But if the, if, if the example had been... You know, well, just like Johnny Carson, when he, you know, Egg McMahon used to read the commercial for Alpo in the middle of the Tonight Show, and the puppy used to eat from the bowl of Alpo while he was reading the commercial. Nobody would be like, all right, so what's the big deal, right? This has been going on forever. Now, you can argue that hard-hitting news shows, you know, that are expose journalism or shows like 60 Minutes probably shouldn't do it. They probably shouldn't, but it's not yep. like they don't have advertising, but they probably shouldn't do the in-context advertising and especially shouldn't do it with their reporters. So maybe there's a point to be had that Mike Wallace shouldn't have done it um, in the context of 60 Minutes because then there's a conflict of interest. And that has been a, you know, that's been a tenant of hardcore journalism for forever and ever, keeping that separation. But the in-context part of this in a podcast like Startup, which is not a hard-hitting news show, by the way. And not really journalism in the sense that it's not trying to uncover some truth for, you know, it, you know illuminating the, the truth for some news purpose. You know, it's, a, it's an entertainment show more than anything else. It happens to be a little bit educational in its, in its content. But really, I mean, I, I think this is way much ado about nothing. And this is, this is the new way. And it's, and it's something that's been done forever and ever and is just a, a, new, a new way of contextualizing it. Yeah, does it go against the authenticity of the show? If it goes against it in some way, then you don't do it. And and if it doesn't, then I think it's absolutely fine. But I think it's important, like, when we accept sponsorship, if let's just – we've turned down some sponsors that didn't feel right for us. That's right. Uh, we don't just accept every dollar, by the way. Just folks want to know out there. We don't just. <laughs> we have said no. <laughs> there, we, we have, have said absolutely no. said no. <laughs> and we say yes to ones that make sense for our audience exactly. and that we feel comfortable doing. But there's a few that, 
you know, that you specifically have said no to. I, on the other hand, was a buyer. Yeah, well, but you were, yeah. well, that's you were because, really against Well, that's because your morals are so low. That's, that's <laughs> what we're talking about here. <laughs> yes, and I set you up for that yeah, one. You did. There we go. You did. Yeah. All right. All right, let's move on to our next, our next, uh, our next story here. Our final story, actually, of of the show, and this one is a fun, positive one to end the show on, which is <clears throat> how corporations are becoming documentary film funders. And I love this article. A big hat tip here to Helena Swedberg at Helena Swedberg on Twitter. If you want to go follow her, um, and this one comes from Bloomberg, which was really interesting to me. The source of this being Bloomberg because it's a big business, obviously publication, and it talks about how, uh, and specifically, really American Express now, um, and ha- has some companies are now choosing to really fund documentary films. Um, as they open the article by saying, um, you know, American Express has joined these people, choosing as its gift is not extra membership rewards, but documentary films. They've got three 20-minute films made by successful directors, heartwarming stories about downtrodden entrepreneurs for their small business audience, making the viewer want to spend money at mom and pops. They've released this on Vimeo, on YouTube, and there we go with our multi-channel strategy on demand on cable, and all of these documentaries were funded by American Express. And this is, and then they go through some other examples, like, for example, uh, We Could Be King, which was a documentary about inner city high school football teams. Um, and it was, of course, sponsored by and funded by Dick's Sporting Goods. So this, to me, is the quintessential idea of content marketing and creating valuable content um, that is, you know, that is helping us align our brand and our, our values to our core audience. And what say you, Joe? I mean, we're just on the cusp of finishing ours. Well, we just, yeah, I actually just saw the, the final proof of uh, the story of content, our documentary, which was, by the way, uh, partially underwritten by the good folks at Bright Cove. So, I mean, like, we're into go. this. This story is about what we're doing right now. Uh, it's a piece of content that we feel was important, that Brightco felt was important, that we wanted to put out there. Uh, so, so I think that there, this is fantastic. I mean, look, it's it's interesting actually. In the, in our documentary, uh, we've got the folks in Marriott is talking about what they're doing, and they're doing this exact thing. They're doing mini documentaries, mini movies. They're going out to writers and journalists and content creators and producers, and they're going out and they're funding things that otherwise would not be funded that they think are important and compelling stories to get out there. I don't think that there's a problem with this at all. I actually think this is a great opportunity. The difference today versus years ago is the fact that we have all these distribution options. You could upload it directly to Facebook if you want, or YouTube, or Vimeo, or whatever. Just put it on Twitter's player now. Those types of things. What is interesting, though... And we talk about this is such an old. I mean, this hasn't. This isn't new by any means. And I got this. I didn't even tell you about this, but I got been trying to work on this thing about you know Cleveland being sort of the content marketing capital of the world. Take and, and Andrew Davis has been on me about this because he's got a new book called Town Inc. And he's talked about how different locations that that really get behind an expertise in something economically do so much better. And he had the researchers from Northwestern do this research. I'm really excited to, to read the book and see what he's done with this whole thing. But he was saying, Joe, you have to do this. So I've been going back and trying to figure out the history of content marketing as it pertains to Northeast Ohio. And what we've been tra- starting to find is Standard Oil, which was purchased you know, by, you know, in a, in a purchase and a purchase by BP, 
but Standard Oil, old com- old Cleveland company, uh, back in the I think it was the forties and fifties, used to do this all the time. So they would take documentaries, vignettes, stories that weren't getting produced that they felt were really important to get out, and they were underwriting them. Wow. I haven't gotten my hands on those yet, but that's I know that they're available, and I'm just working with an, archi- uh, an archive group here to see if we can get those. But isn't that something? It's I mean, this just, is just yeah. – this is, I mean, they talk about this old marketing. Yeah, this, right. is, this is just a time-honored way, I think, to say, look, this is really important information. I mean, you can't do it like product placement all over the place. You have to do it, tell a real story, uh, something that, that's authentic in some way that's really important to your target audience. And I think you've got something. So I, I'm all for this. I think it's just a fantastic – I mean, I love seeing this story. I, I, was, I was so pleased to see this because – you know, I mean, it's it's just a it's just a wonderful example of a company. In this case, you know, I'm, I, sh- I don't know if that I should be surprised that it's American Express. They've 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 gone a long way down the content road, and you know, just creating value. You know, just creating value separate and discreet from the product that they create, and creating that value through content to illuminate shared values, to create awareness. To you know, it's just a it's just a great it's just a great method of marketing. It's just it's just really good. But by the way, just <clears throat> as a content marketing part of your strategy. If you're in an industry that doesn't have a documentary, I think you should be the one to do sure, it. Sure, create right? it. There's not yeah. – it's like, hey, let's go do that. Let's be the thought leaders behind us. Let's be the teachers that's right. in our industry and put this out. I think that's an opportunity. A lot of production costs have come way down. Obviously, we talked about distribution. It could be an opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of opportunities, we have our own little contextual opportunity to talk about. This is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful field guide. We, this old market, you know what's funny? I have to say this. Who is the, oh, it was, um, let's give a shout out to Nanad because he, Nanad didn't know what the PNR stood for <laughs> in Twitter's. Right. PNR is, by the way, for those of you that, PNR's This Old Marketing, Polizzi and Rose, This Old Marketing, is sponsored. You just notice week, who gets but, top billing there, right? It's not R&P. <laughs> Just, just, just saying. <laughs> P is before R in the alphabet, and I'll stand to oh, that. All right. Well, argument. the N isn't right, so it should be NPR. No, no. Hold on. Don't, Wait a minute. No, no, uh, I don't think that would work at know. all. All right. But anyway. I think that might be taken. Moving well, we along. We could see. We <laughs> could see. This old marketing this week is sponsored by our good friends at Emma Email Marketing for the Modern oh, Brand. Emma. Emma. Emma is a provider of best in class software and services that help organizations of all sizes. Get more from their email marketing. In Emma's new Modern Marketers Field Guide, a fantastic piece, by the way, you'll learn how to identify and use, not just identify, Robert, use Use. the right marketing tools (laughs) in its entirety. There we go. There we go. The right marketing tools to craft emails that truly stand out in the inbox and create a personal experience for every subscriber. And, of course, we love the word subscriber. One of my favorite words. There are other words on that list. Well, to create an experience that creates a subscriber. I mean, come on. Oh, experience. Just experience. Experiences. That should be a book. Should be. It should should be. be. If if only. For every subscriber, download the guide now at bit.ly slash myemma. Dash field dash guide. That's bit.ly slash myemma dash field dash guide. Of course, it will be in the show notes. You can go to this old marketing and get it directly if you will. And just special thing is download it. If you haven't gotten a chance to download it, 
please do it. It's one of those uh, tools that just really help you with your business, no matter what size you are. And thanks to the good Thank folks you at Emma, Emma for uh, for sponsoring Thank this week too, and Emma. putting more dollars in Robert's pocket. That's, that's really what we want. <laughs> well, Emma was one of the ones we said yes to. So how about that? <laughs> that's right. There you go. But wouldn't they, yeah, that would have been too. So they've got to be feeling good right but now. But I'm smoking a cigarette as I do it, right? So. <laughs> There goes the show. There goes the right show. Right there. All right. Well, it is now time for the show that you all love so much. It's our Rants and Raves segment where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us really, really want to counterpunch or go ground and pound like Ronda Rousey to the head. Or it makes us happy and makes us happy that it's now time for something completely different. All right. So I guess I'm... I'm I'm uh, I'm first here because I have You're this first. marketing and I yes, have I guess it's a rant but I you know it's not a rave um, it's more commentary I guess than than anything else um, and it's about this whole thing so it, unless you've been under a rock the last week the name Cecil is going to ring is it a, Cecil is it or is it Cecil is it like I don't De, know. is it I like Demille or DeMille. is it like <laughs> it's anyway it's the deceased <laughs> the deceased Cecil. Um, and to be clear, before I go through this, I, I have no opinion on Cecil. I didn't know Cecil. Cecil was not a friend of mine. I'm well, of sad. course you didn't know Cecil because you can't even pronounce his name. What did you? What Cecil. is it? Cecil. I don't know. Cecil. I just well, when you see it, you don't you say don't correct Cecil, me if you don't I know. I say Cecil. Tomato, right. tomato, tomato. All right, Cecil, Cecil, the tomato. Tell me tomato. more about right. Cecil. Well, here's the thing. So the link <laughs> that we'll link to in the show notes is the New York Times article that talks about the death of Cecil or Cecil the lion, and. It talks about it says you know the the if you haven't heard about this uh, Cecil was a black main lion he was killed by an American big game hunter in Zimbabwe um, and the hunter's name was Dr Walter Palmer who's a dentist from Minnesota and because of the social media outrage that has ensued um, has been forced into hiding of it and maybe under extradition from Zimbabwe and there's all sorts of legal proceedings going on at the moment and it is a big sad 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 thing so. I don't really want to talk about the article because the article is what it is and it states the facts and it's, you know, quite fine. Nor do I really want to, you know, come out in one way or the other for, you know, although I'll I'll agree with everyone that killing a lion for, um, you know, for headhunting purposes is sort of a stupid, asinine thing. My commentary or my rant is really about the broader danger here of – Something we've talked about before, certainly with other, you know, sort of social media fails and those sorts of things, which is the danger of this social media mob mentality, which, <clears throat> you know, look at its face, this is an easy thing to get worked up about. You know, I, I call this uh, safe outrage. Um, in this case, so what I mean by safe outrage is, I mean, there's no discernible alternative opinion. It's very easy to post call for the dentist, you know, call for this dentist to get dismembered or murdered and write out his office address, post on his Yelp page that you're going to kill his family, protest at his office, throw stuffed animals, and, and generally, I mean, let's face it, ruin this guy's life at least temporarily. And, and maybe that's justified. I don't know. I'm not calling a judgment on that. But this is, I'm stating what happened. And so the popularity, of course, of this is what leads the rest of the media to then look at this as some sort of important conversation because it'll get ratings and because they can then and it sort of feeds on itself which you know it's really weird because if we're if we're really honest about this one hunter's asinine actions are hardly worth the amount of attention that this has received across the globe i mean across the planet especially when it's compared to what we could be talking about or the discussions that we could be having which 
interestingly enough to me, you know, is, is, is what I mean by the safe outrage, which is it makes the other conversations that are much more difficult and that do have legitimate alternative opinions much more difficult to discuss, which is, you know, the, 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 the real interesting thing here. And, and that reminded me so much of Clay Shirky because he wrote a book called Here Comes Everybody. And I really like this book. It's a great book if you haven't read it. Um, and he talks about this. He talks about how social media enables group conversation and group action in a way that could only previously be achieved through institutions, right? You know, if we think about this, the institution of the news or the media was really the only way this kind of outrage would have been sort of exhibited before. And I actually have an example of that in just a second. But it's in the same way that sort of, the, as, as he says in the book, in the same way the printing press increased the individualist expression and the telephone increased communications between individuals, Shirky, in his book, what he says is basically the advent of online social media tools can form groups without previous restrictions of time and cost and all of that. So we can form these groups very, very quickly. It's a powerful, really powerful idea. It led to sort of what we saw happen in the Arab Spring or other recent cultural and political revolutions. But interestingly, there's another idea there that Shirky also talks about in his book, which is this idea of mass amateurization, where basically everything is the media now, and it's prosumerized the idea of things like photography and journalism and writing and all of that. And Carla and I actually talk about this in, in our book, where we talk about the coming disruptions in things like manufacturing, the Internet of Things, and all of these things, and how they're going to disrupt business more generally, and how content and marketing and creating an audience is really sort of the differentiating, the only differentiation we truly have left. This mass amateurization is also having an effect on our collective outrage. At least this is my commentary. We're outraged by lesser and lesser things these days. So just as an example of this, so if you can remember back, there's a guy by the name of Richard Jewell. He was a security guard who falsely, as it turns out, was accused of being the Olympic bomber during the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. Can you imagine what would have happened to that guy had this happened in the age of social media? You know, his personal address would have been thrown out there, his which... You know, he's he might have he may have been seriously injured during this during this whole time during this you know age. How quickly that story happened in traditional media, where journalisms were supposed to be professional, in an idea of amateurized journalism and social media outrage. What would have happened to that guy? So the question is really, what are we going to do about it, or can we do anything about it? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So this is less of sort of a here's the way forward and then just a sort of a plea of if we can start thinking about this. Is this the world we live in now as people or as marketers uh, you know, to communicate about our products and solutions? Do we just have to deal with this as a new reality? I don't have a solution for this. But in a very, very small way, this is the exact problem I have with the HubSpot press release because – this is becomes a bigger record of people's lives. So as kids, when I was a kid, and Joe, when you were a kid, I know you had this, the teachers would yell at us and they would say, this is going to go on your permanent record. You know, it's even a thing for our childhood in a Violent Femmes song. You know, this will go on your permanent record. And we used to laugh at how silly that idea was. But the sad state of affairs is in this world of mass amateurization and media the, and this here comes everybody good and bad, the permanent record is now really a thing. And it's just a really, really sad state of affairs when somebody's going to get hurt by this who doesn't deserve to get hurt. And that's the end of my rant. That was very eloquent, and you're going to make mine look silly. Because <laughs> it was so eloquent. I hate it. Oh, that was really... Yeah. <clears throat> 
I wish you had. I was waiting for the solution. I don't have it. I thought you were going to give some prescriptive advice. I'm not smart enough for that. I'm really, really not smart enough for that. I'm just only smart enough to be able to say this is a... This is a this is a, a sad a sad thing. I mean, I watched it happen. You know, I watched it all go down, and it was it's just fascinating to me because you know it's it's it, it's a totally horrific thing, and I get it. And the way that he killed that line was horrible, but in the context of what's going on in the world, this sort of the the interesting thing to me here is the level of outrage that the world has and can sort of fire up so quickly. And this guy's, you know, for better or for worse, for right or for wrong, for guilty or not guilty, that guy's life, at least temporarily, is completely ruined. His dentist practice yep. is gone. He can't do business anymore. He's, his career is gone. He's certainly not going to go hunting anymore. He's, he's in hiding because he's in fear for his, his safety. I mean, I mean, I don't know that that was – I don't know that that punishment is, is justified yet. And, and, and he may have legal trouble. So it's just well, a really odd thing for me. Well, you and I talked about this before the show and I, I just opened up my Facebook page and I saw three other examples yeah. of, of uh, CEOs right. or well-known Another, people right. that are gamers and they're, they're trying to out them and tell them how horrible they are. And again, I'm not – you and I aren't taking a stance, but wow, did that happen fast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every, like a, can like you imagine being like somebody who actually went out and did big game hunting 10 or you know, so years ago and posted pictures of them that happened 10 or – when it was all you – know, when it was legal or if it was legal or you – know, let's assume that it was all legal and all – and basically these big game hunters were out there. They're all scrambling now to go delete these photos off the internet because, oh my god, we're about to get you – know, we're about to get called out here as a – as a as a killer and it's 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 and and i don't know that that's i'm not suggesting that is or isn't justified what i'm saying is is that it's a thing now and in context it feels like something that where you know it, not to draw another analogy here but it's a really fascinating thing norm Macdonald, who i love he's a comedian he he was on the view of all places and said this really interesting thing about donald trump actually he said he said the interesting thing about donald trump and being a front runner is donald trump is going out and saying ridiculous things but because it's coming from the clown that is donald trump we go <laughs> we laugh and he's just an idiot and a clown but think of and but it's resonating right somebody is actually resonating with this cuz he's front running in the polls and he said imagine if somebody charismatic was actually seriously saying this stuff he said imagine if this was coming from a serious person he said then it, the, the 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 difference of that changes quite a bit there's a there's, a, there's an analogy there Anyway, I uh, yeah, sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> no, that, it, don't be sorry. I mean, it's just uh, that's. I guess the 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 medication that you're telling people is don't pile on. I'm trying to, yeah. Don't I mean, pile, yeah. So don't pile on. So if you see something like that on your Facebook page or Twitter feed, don't just necessarily share it yeah, out I mean, right away. Yeah, I mean, you've got an opinion on it. You've got an opinion on it, but it's, yeah. it's 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 it's. I think there are. I think there are other things that we could and should be talking about, I guess. Exactly. We could add to the world yeah. in some positive way. Here's mine. All right. Here's mine. Again, not as eloquent. I'm setting very low expectations. But uh, uh, our creative director, <clears throat> Joseph Kalinowski, sent this on to me. I think he's at Ringo66 on Twitter if you want to follow him. 
uh, we actually we were playing playing a basketball game last night. We you know we're going to do Sunday night uh, basketball, and uh, we were talking about how much YouTube stars make. And of course, I cover a lot of that in Content Inc. And he sent me this article, which I thought was really interesting. But I, it's, this is a, this is sort of a rant against YouTube and maybe some possibilities out there. So the title is this from a Business Insider article. It's entitled, The Biggest Stars on YouTube Make Huge Incomes, dot, 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 yet they can't keep the vast majority of it. So it goes into a number of stars. Uh, Felix Kelberg is the one. PewDiePie, you might know him. He's got he's got more followers on YouTube than anybody on the planet, I believe. Uh, it's There was not a scandal, but there were a couple articles in the last few weeks that said he earned $7.4 million from his YouTube channel last year the one person and they go through step by step the revenues and the and the cut from youtube so so this is get this robert this is interesting so pewdiepie's total revenue in 2014 10.5 million after youtube's 45 percent cut 5.7 million after taxes after youtube's cut four point basically four million dollars so net income of four million, so he said, "Yeah, that's pretty good." But you know, let's look at some other ones. He goes through a bunch of different examples. Uh, they go through one here. So was this one that I didn't? Oh, uh, Olga K. I've never heard of Olga K. Have you heard of Olga K. before? I have not. And I have not. I have not either. But okay, apparently, she's another uh, internet famous star. Did total revenue uh, of a hundred thousand dollars minus YouTube's forty five percent cut. Uh, minus the taxes, minus editing costs, net income, uh, $13,500. Right. So you, you start to add this up, and my take here is, and again, it's a question. I don't know if it's a rant against YouTube, but it's a question. By the way, YouTube can charge whatever they want. It's their platform. Sure. I don't have any problem with YouTube. I think they're going to run into some problems because as you were, you were telling me before the show – about the article that came out about uh, Facebook distribution versus YouTube distribution. Right. Facebook is catching up. If not, they have maybe surpassed YouTube in a lot of ways when it comes to uh, native distribution. Yeah, of somebody video. came out and said and projected when they would actually cross over if they haven't already. So the the issue is. And right now, if you read a number of different articles and sources, Facebook has not done a great job sort of cultivating these personalities from YouTube. But they have the platform. Everything is ready to go. They just really have to make a decision to turn this thing on. YouTube's 45% cut is in peril. And I've talked to a number of YouTubers as we were uh, getting ready and, and producing the book that they're really upset about what YouTube's done. They feel like they're gorging a little bit. Uh, and there's a fight here. Hulu's involved in this. Facebook's involved in this. And they're trying to figure out, I think the thing that I heard about Hulu was they wanted to go to YouTube stars. Maybe we talked about this on the show. They're trying to go to YouTube stars and say, look, before you submit your video on YouTube, give us three days. And we want to premiere it on th- And then you can do whatever you want on your YouTube channel. So it's just interesting to see that you know, if there's a, if there's an issue, YouTube's in a little bit of trouble here because I think that Facebook could easily, <clears throat> by turning the switch, they could go out and say, "Hey, it's not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna cut forty five percent. We're gonna cut thirty. We want thirty percent, or we want twenty percent, or whatever." Sure. And and uh, frankly, uh, Amazon could get into this as well if they wanted. to. I think to they all will. These- I mean, I think what you're seeing is the is the basically the 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 ceiling coming lower, you know, cause this is already happening at the HBO showtime level where, yeah. you know, where you've got the Amazons of the world and, and different, uh, 
you know, Amazon's Netflix, Hulu sort of competing dollars wise for great content. And so this is just the, the ceiling coming lower and lower to the people who actually make content on YouTube. So YouTube is quite literally just another network that has hot content that can be that can be competed for, um, uh, you know, for different distribution channels. But what I love about this, and I'll end with this because I think it's so interesting. So, and I've never I've never once watched a PewDiePie video. I know my kids have, and they think he's hysterical, and that's probably not a good thing. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, I went to PewDiePie's site, so I'm like, okay, well, PewDiePie's got 30x million subscribers. I'm, you know, if I get up in the morning, I'm a little concerned uh, because of YouTube can the subscriber burn is there. YouTube can show his videos or not show his videos. They have a lot of control. I mean, YouTube created this monster, but they can also take it away. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm exactly. that's a concern, right? Yeah. So so go, if you go to PewDiePie's site, which I know he, he talks about on his shows and talking with the kids. Go to PewDiePie.com, and you'll see the first thing you see is a pop-up for, hey, you'll get premium items if you subscribe to my email list. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I just – isn't that something? There it it's is. It's just like that's the first thing they're talking about. Two things. He's promoting email, sign up for the email, and download my app. Those are the two things so they can try to create his own platform. Bing, bang, it's, boing. it's just interesting that – I just what I don't get about this whole thing, just coming back to the brands idea of it, that more you know, go back to the financer part we talked about, that more brands aren't focusing on building audience and building their own platform out of what social media has given us. Right. So <clears throat> well there's some and, and and coming back to the financial services just for two seconds, there is some interesting not necessarily governmental regulations there, but there are some interesting sort of self imposed regulations there about collection collection of information and how that happens. Um, which is a really challenging thing for many of those financial services companies. Which That's is, true. Yeah. That's so, true. There are regulation yeah. issues. So let's just make, make it just say most businesses, yeah. I think you could put into yeah. that. Well, it doesn't stop right. them from doing it. It just means that there's one more hoop to jump through as they do it. And that's the, that's the real challenge is are they willing to jump through? Do they see enough value to actually jump through that hoop? Got it. Yeah. Hey. You have a this old marketing. I do have a this old marketing, and I have to tell you, this one is uh, we've been on fire lately. Um, the Disney thing that you did a couple of weeks ago is just awesome, and this one is just fantastic. It's just a wonderful, wonderful example of this old market. Could not be more excited about this, and a huge hat tip, bow down type of hat tip to Angela Hirsch. Uh, she's got, got an awesome Twitter handle at Webmaster Girl, um, who sort of forward this on to us, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful example. So um, there's a company. It's called Dadant and Sons, and I, I may be mispronouncing that, but it looks French to me, so I'm going to give it the French en. Um, so Dadant and Sons, they have been producing quality beekeeping supplies since 1863, which amazes me in and of itself that there's a company that's been around since 1863 selling beekeeping supplies. I guess it's a niche that, you know, you really got to have. Um, and so on the front page of their website, they talk about, you know, welcome to the world of beekeeping where Danon Sons is America's oldest and largest manufacturer of beekeeping supplies. The fascinating hobby that proves to be a challenging business as well. Many aspects to beekeeping ranging from raising the bees, producing honey, um, using the products for the hive or the crafts, cooking, all that stuff, right? So they cover it all. Basically, everything having to do with beekeeping is all them. They have uh, a, a magazine, a journal, if you will. It's called the American Bee Journal. 
And the American Bee Journal, its origin was a, it's a magazine all in of itself, which started uh, in 1851. And so in 1851, so this, this like rivals going back to like the furrow and all those kinds of things. In 1851, they started publishing this, these series of journals and books called Rational Beekeeping. And basically, he, after getting translation uh, of the book, um, all, you know, from, uh, uh, from I think it's German, actually, um, and then basically pulling it in to English, they started keeping this regular journal called the Beekeeper's Manual, um, and it started appearing um, regularly as a magazine in 1853. So it started publishing as a magazine and was regularly published from 1853 all the way up until 1912. And in 1912... Actually, the original publisher of it decided that he was going to retire, and he sold the American Bee Journal and his whole business to C.P. Dadant um, of Hamilton, Illinois. And that was Dadant of our beekeeping uh, uh, company. And basically, he has been – the company has been publishing it ever since – Ever since that, so from 1912 up until literally today, the latest issue is August of 2015, has been publishing this wonderful magazine called The Bee Journal. And as they said, their content mission, we the editors are continuing its publication. We want The Bee Journal to be the finest publication about bees and beekeeping in the world, teaching people how to manage bees, how to create beekeeping, and how to do it all safely and wonderfully and profitably and all of that. Just a wonderful example of this old marketing where they're creating this wonderful publication publication that supports the business that they're actually in. Just a great example. That could be a top five. It's a really wonderful one. It's yeah. pretty darn close. That might be one of the oldest ones we've had. Yeah, it's on it's, the show. it's great. And there's the imagery. The link we'll put in there, the imagery, the history. They've got all that in there. It's just awesome. That's Fantastic. All right. So, what what are you up to this week? I'm I'm heads down. I have a client uh, engagement. Actually, one of the few that I've ever had here in Los Angeles. I actually have a client here in LA, a financial services company. Um, oddly enough, um, and um, basically working with them this week. But other than that, heads down, getting prepped for the dun 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 big show coming up here in September. That's right. And um, I have to keep the the voice sounding as amazing as it does right now is <laughs> i'm uh i'm recording uh the content inc audiobook for the next two days oh wow so Good i'll be you. in studio i will split it in half we'll be doing that and uh I'll be good. That the, so the goal was was to launch the book and the audio book simultaneously last with epic content marketing it was about two months after yeah and it actually did really well. well I'm, I'm still I'm working on experiences if that's any help. So you better get going, I'm man. On it. There's I a lot of people do, that man. need that. I live in Joe Polizzi's world. Show. I'm just trying to make Joe Polizzi's world a better place. That's my life. <laughs> well, at least you have your priorities <laughs> exactly. straight. So exactly. there you go. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well. Why don't you uh, Why don't you wrap us up? All right, that I, is I have it, to save folks. the rest of this voice. Exactly for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose living Joe Polizzi's life for him. Signing off. <laughs> you know, tweet us up. Hashtag this old marketing. We love getting those show ideas, and we love most of all getting the examples of this old marketing. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Or if you know, if you've got a question, you like email, you like that email thing. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number ninety, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today will be available in the show itself when it publishes and the show notes available on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.